Today, if you've got your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. And if you got it and you're ready, if, you, if you're able, would just stand to your feet, just so I know you're ready to, to go with us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. This is what it says. Therefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in your word. God, I ask that you would just speak to every one of our hearts and minds, and Lord, help us to grow in depth and width of knowledge and understanding of you and your glory and the things that you want us to know today. God, I love you, and I thank you, and in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated this morning. This week, I, I spent a lot of time wrestling, trying to land on a, a message for today. And uh, there, there's just this, towards the, the second half of the week, I just, God began to deal with me through through this scripture and and pertaining to his people and his church and his body. And, and there's just this, I, I almost experienced, is probably the best word I can use to explain uh, what we're talking about today. And it's working through our salvation, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. There was this, there was almost this literal sense of fear and trembling that I felt this week as I began to think about some of the things going on in the world. And I began to think about the condition of the body of Christ and the church and there was this 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 holy fear, not this terrified fear. It was a holy fear before God about the stuff that we're seeing and, and having happen within the body of Christ and within this world. And God began to to really lay heavy on my heart this scripture, and I really wrestled because the, this is not one of those messages that it's it's a uh, happy go lucky run the aisles, roll on the floor in the altar type of sermon. It, it's, it's a word that's meant to bring us humility and, and to bring us before God. And I, I want us to walk through this with reverence today for God. Paul starts this out writing and he says, not just in my presence, but even more in my absence. Well, what I've learned through this scripture and my time in prayer this week, and God has revealed to me is just how important it is and how more important it is to be careful about what goes on in private as compared to what we do in public. See, Paul said, not, don't just live this out, what I'm telling you 
just in my presence, but even more so in my absence. See, it's easy to serve God when you have an audience. It is. It's easy to do the right thing when everybody's watching, everybody's even supportive of it. It's, it's so easy to, to be faithful to God when, when there's people around you. Because when there's people around you, there's a, a, an accountability that is established. There is this accountability being surrounded by fellow believers, and even not even always believers, but just the, the public opinion will put us in a position where, where we will tend to be on our best behavior But what is happening behind the closed doors? What happens in our lives when the audience is gone, the the accountability is gone, and it's just us? You see, Paul is instructing them to be careful and, and to take this seriously. It's so easy to come into church and to do the right things and to say the right things, to act the right way. To You learn the Christianese language and, and you learn how to put the mask on and be a Christian in front of people within church. But when you step outside of these doors and you step outside of these walls and you go into your home and it's just you, what is your life like? When there is an absence of an audience, when there's absence of accountability, see it's dangerous. You know, there's there's a uh, uh, an article I read a while back, and I was reminded of it this week. Talks about millennials and Gen Z falling away from the church, and it said the number one problem was not that the church didn't have the fancy lights. It didn't have the big LED screens and the the fireworks shows during worship. That that wasn't what was causing them to fall away from church. They said one of the biggest issues they had was that they had parents who were really good at church on Sunday morning in service, but at home they was like they never even knew God. It was the hypocrisy. Of their parents. And I will say this when we raise children, and now that I have a little girl, and I know right now it's probably the easiest it will ever be because all you got to do is change your diaper, make sure she's fed. That is very basic right now. We're not working through emotions, we're not working through as much temptation, we're not having to deal with those seasons of life quite yet. But I do understand that when we get to that point, I got to approach that with some fear and trembling, understanding that God has entrusted us with this life. And that what I do in public is not nearly as important as what happens in private. It doesn't matter what happens in public if your private life is just as dirty and nasty as can be. You see, we, we get real, we're going to get real here for a little bit here. It's so easy to do the right things when you have people watching you. But what are we doing behind those closed doors when we're all alone? And we know we can get away with stuff because nobody's watching. And you know what this really revealed to me? It revealed to me that we fear man way more than we fear God. Because if you feared God, 
what happens in private wouldn't really be too big of an issue for you. It's just real quiet in here today in this Presbyterian church. What we do in private sets the precedent for the fruit that is bared in public. You know, you can, you can go to these to church services and things, and you can tell. You can tell when the preacher and the pastor, whoever it is, has spent time with God in private. Because when there's time in private, there is fruit that is bore in public. It's obvious. And there is fruit that is the, the, the sowing and the reaping and the, the watering and the fertilizing all happens in the prayer closet. And when you're on your own, and when it comes time to be out in public, that's when the fruit is shown. And Jesus says, we will be known by our fruits. What happens in private bears a lot of weight into what is shown in public. And Paul is saying, you need to take this very seriously. And he says, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We need to understand that it's our own salvation. I'm not saved because my grandma's saved. You know, I, I might, her prayers may have had something to do with it. I believe they did. Because the Bible says the prayers of the righteous availeth much. I believe her prayers had something to do with it. But the blood didn't cover me because it covered her. The blood covers me because I have my own salvation and my own faith. Paul is saying you got to take some ownership of your own faith and of your own salvation. We, we so often rely on somebody else to do our preaching and teaching for us, to do our worshiping for us. You know, God kind of moved on me a little bit this week as I was listening to another pastor. I listen to a lot of sermons throughout the week. You know, I need to be fed too. And he got to talking about worship in the Bible. And he said, nowhere in Scripture will you ever find a stage or a platform. You won't. Why? Because at that point in time, worship was just within the people. David, when the ark was coming back into the city, he didn't wait on the worship team to hit the right chord or to sing the bridge 75 times as most of the newer songs do. And he didn't wait on his favorite song to worship. He just saw that the presence of God was on the horizon and he became undignified. He took his robe off and he danced in the street. And Michael sat up in the tower watching him and, and then said to him, how could you dance like that before all the handmaidens in Israel? And, what he, and what, what he said to her was, listen, you need to understand something. I ain't doing this for all of them. I'm doing this for me and for God because I see his presence. He says, you think this is why? I'm giving you the Brandon Scott version this morning. You think this is crazy? He said, woman, I'll become even more undignified than this. You ain't seen nothing yet. And, and I think sometimes when we, when we read these scriptures and, and we see worship, 
you know, I, I've come to realize here, you know, everybody worships in their own unique way. They do. Some people are hand lifters and some people are reverent, just prayerful people. Some people like to, to dance and move around a little bit. All of these things are biblical. Some people shout. Some people are very quiet and, and, and meek and mild in the presence of God. Uh, some people are more exuberant. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But what I love to see, and me and my father-in-law have had this discussion before, and this pastor said it again. He says, the one thing we got to remember is that when David began to worship, and I know I'm rabbit trailing a little bit today, but I think we, we got to break some of this religious spirit off of us, as he danced in his own might. You know, we think, oh, dancing in the spirit or dancing in the flesh. Listen, if, if somebody had to make, if the Spirit had to make David dance, it wouldn't really be true praise and worship. David danced because he loved God and loved His presence. It wasn't because, some, because the Holy Spirit manipulated him and started making his leg move. He loved God and worshipped for that reason. We gotta we have to understand that nobody can do our worshiping for us. We wait on the spirit to move on us. We wait now the spirit does move on you, and I don't I don't have time to get into the, the all that today. But it's not the people singing on the stage's job to worship for you. They're just kind of setting the precedent. They're they're playing the instruments. That they've picked the songs, they've prayed about the songs, but at the end of the day, they, they may be titled worship leaders, but they're worshiping with you, not for you. When we say join us in worship, we're not saying just let us worship and you guys just kind of watch as a spectacle. What we're saying is come to the presence of God with us and you worship as we worship. Nobody can give you the fullness of the Word of God. Listen, I study and I pray a lot on what to preach on a Sunday morning. But with the 30 to 45 minute sermon once a week, and for a lot of people it's not even once a week because not everybody can be here every week, the average anymore is about once a month for people to come to church. Pre-COVID, it was twice a month. So we've cut it in half. And we expect that to be enough for us to know and understand who God is. Because we want somebody else to do all the teaching and studying for us. And we just come and listen and now, granted, I believe coming to church is important. I believe being in the house of God is important, and it's biblical. But it's not enough. If we don't have our own faith outside of these walls. See, it goes back to what you do in private versus public. What happens Monday through Saturday in your life that builds your faith? Do you spend time worshiping and studying His Word? Or you just wait till Sunday and you live on a Sunday message. 
Because if I preached for the rest of my life, for the next, how old am I? Almost 30. If I preached for another 50 years or so, every week, and you were here every week, I still would not be able to teach you anything in, every, in all the stuff that God has in His Word for us. There is so much revelation and truth that is in His Word that will not be learned just simply on a Sunday. And now we've talked about bringing back a Wednesday night Bible study. Even twice a week still won't be enough. You've got to take ownership of your own faith. And how do we approach this? Paul says we approach it with fear and trembling. And now here's the real heavy part this morning. The thing that God has really dealt with me about is we don't really walk before God with fear and trembling like we should. Faith has been turned into a lot of fluff. We have, we have taken God from his holy mountain and brought him down to where we say, Jesus is, I remember kind of being a teenager, they had, there was this trend going around and then I thought it was kind of cheesy and now I think it's just unbiblical. They said, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my friend. We are called a friend of God, but we've lowered Christ down and we've lowered God down to this level and we've made him human in a lot of ways. And we say, when we are messing up, when we're doing that, well, God understands, I guess. And he understands that you're sinful and need to repent. I know this is, this, this is hard this morning. But we have a holy, righteous, just God. Yes, he loves us. But we've taken God as loved and we've cut it off at that and we've forgotten the holiness and the righteousness and the justice that God has as well. We've taken the truth. that It, it breaks my heart. I was talking to Mackenzie last night before we both went to bed in our long distance relationship that is ending today as she comes home. As I talked to her, I was listening to another pastor, celebrity pastor, who is now compromised on the truth of God's Word and has submitted to the LGBTQ community. And listen, before you get all crazy on me, I love that community. I believe God created them and loves them, but I also believe God wants them to be saved and sanctified and delivered from that lifestyle. But he, he is, because of whatever the pressures of the, the culture has caved to it and said, I'm sorry, you're, you're okay. Uh, you're fine just as you are. And you know what? God loves us as we are, and he loves us where we're at. But he loves us too much for us to stay there as well. And it, and it broke my heart and I felt even more fear and trembling. And I said, where is the fear of God in our world and in our churches and in our pulpits? Those are things you expect from the world. You. It blows my mind 
that we are so worried and going back to the fear of man rather than the fear of God that we are so worried about the public opinion and being canceled. If you want to cancel me, cancel me. What are you going to do? Get me banned off of social media? That's what people are worried about. What I've learned is they've, they've come to cling so tightly to their platform that they've let go of the truth. Because we've lost the fear and trembling that we used to have before God. I love, I love sinners because I want them to be saved. But you can't just take any and everything with you into the kingdom of God. And if we don't have a standard of holiness, we don't get keys to the kingdom. Yes, God loves you, and I cannot emphasize that enough. He loved us enough to send His only Son to die for us. But He also says, be holy as I am holy. It just gets so quiet. So quiet in this Methodist church today. It's all right to laugh a little bit once in a while. But where is our fear and trembling before God? Why do we not take Him seriously? Oh, it's so easy when we read His Word to take His promises seriously. Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm the head and not the tail. I'll take that seriously, but when God says a command... Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of a sudden, it's like, well, did he really mean... And, and I know the response typically is, well, you wear blended fabrics and you eat shellfish and pork, don't you? Have you ever read Leviticus? Yeah, I've read Leviticus, and I understand that there are three categories of laws. There's moral law, there's ceremonial law, and then there's civil law. Civil law was to keep order within the community. Ceremonial law was to purify and cleanse the people of their sins through the sacrifices of animals and physical outward things that kept us pure and clean. And some of those were health benefits for the people at that time. And there was the moral law, which was don't kill people, don't steal from people, don't lie, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't do all of these things. And Jesus came and fulfilled the requirements for cleansing and purifying. And I don't have time to dive into the depths of all of this, but it's not a matter of picking and choosing which laws we follow, but it's an understanding that there's still a holy standard. And although Christ came and fulfilled that so that we could be washed and cleaned and purified in the blood, He still requires a holy standard for His people. Holiness is still right. And it always will be. But now we live in a world that takes the Word of God and begins to change it based on the way we feel. We, we will accept the inspirational and encouraging parts of the Word of God. But the moment it asks us to be transformed, see, we don't want the transformation, we just want the information and the inspiration that makes us feel good. 
I read the Bible, and a lot of times I feel convicted. I read the Bible, and I realize that I may not be who I used to be, but I still got a long way to go until I get to who I'm going to be. And it brings me to a place of fear and trembling. Like, oh, man, I messed that up. God, help me. But culture and the way most believers are, I shouldn't say most, but a lot, is, oh, I messed that up. I guess God understands. I mean, he made me this way, so I guess it's all right. I understand that where grace abound, or where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. But Paul goes on to say in Romans, does that mean that since we have so much grace that we should continue on in sin? He says, certainly not. I know this is heavy today and hard and challenging. Before I move on, I want us to understand today Yes, there's a lot of inspiration and strength that comes from the Word of God. And yes, it is all true. And it is all available to us. But we will not have access to it until we learn how to walk in fear and trembling obedience to God. Proverbs teaches us that it is the fear of God that is the beginning of all wisdom. Psalms, I believe it's Psalm 128, don't quote me on that, talks about blessed are those who fear God and walk in obedience to him. If we want the blessing, we've got to be obedient. Now comes the more uplifting part. All of this is leading us to something. Like, God doesn't just ask us to live this way for no reason. God has a purpose for every commandment that he gives. We may not always understand the why. We may not be able to see the full picture of it all here on earth for everything. But I can tell you today that all of this stuff that God is asking us to do serves a purpose. In verse 13 it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, God's got this plan and a purpose for your life, but you cannot access that plan and that purpose until you have submitted yourself in obedience to him. God is working in you through his will and creating a will in you and establishing his will and purpose for your life inside of you as you walk towards him and with him in fear and trembling. And he's establishing that in you. And as you walk in this obedience to him and you walk in fear and trembling with him, all of a sudden he begins to reveal things to you that do not show up any other way than through your obedience. All of a sudden the plan and purpose that he has for your life becomes evident and it comes alive for you. And then all of a sudden he's working in you for that will to become a reality. And all of a sudden the, it says to will and to work. So he's not just cultivating the plan and the purpose for you and, and bringing it to life in you, but he's also training you and developing you to give you the ability to do the work of that will. Everybody... I've, I've learned so much and it's, I know it's, I'm sure it's very much true 
in all generations, but I know it's very much true in the younger generation, is the question is, why am I even here on this earth? Every so often in, the, in, in our youth ministry days, we would do a, a, a question and answer session. You could submit questions and we would do our best to answer. And so often, more than one person, it was all anonymous, but there was multiple people every time, without a doubt, would be asking, how do I know what God's plan is for my life? How do I understand why I'm here on this earth? That is the number one thing. And I wish there was a cookie cutter answer I could give for everybody, but I can tell you where to start, and it's to submit yourself in obedience to him. And God is going to work in you to establish his will and give you the ability to live it out. And it's for his good pleasure Paul goes on in verses 14 through 16. He says, do all these things without grumbling or disputing. In other words, don't be complaining about what God said to do. Don't try to dispute it. Just obey it. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I'm going to pause there. All of this stuff makes us into a light for the world. See, if, if we don't walk in obedience to God with fear and trembling, we don't look any different than the rest of the world. And if we don't look any different we can't guide them and lead them because why would they want to be led to what they already know? They want to get out of their mess. They don't want to be led into more of it. They want freedom and deliverance, not just new bondage. But what we, we, we've done in the body of Christ is we've led a lot of people out of the bondage of worldly sin and led them right into the bondage of the spirit of religion. We've beat them down and wore them out. And it wasn't the fear and trembling before God. It was that we were trying to hide ourselves and bury our own messes and refused to let God work in us. And what people found out is that these people on the inside of the church ain't no better than what's on the outside in the world. Because the people in the church aren't walking with obedience and fear and trembling before the Almighty God. It's really quiet in this Catholic church today. Yes, we are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and all of this. But God's plan for us is to be lights in that mess. It makes me think of that, that song, if it wasn't for the lighthouse. I don't sing, so I'm not going to try to sing it. I, I told somebody the other day, he said, you know, sometimes people sing songs 
and they'll say, oh, the Lord gave me this song. And sometimes you just think, honey, you should have just gave that one right back. I think that one was just meant for you and God in the shower. It wasn't meant for a public audience. And that I'm one of those people. The Lord lays a song on my heart. That's for when not e- that's that's been for this past weekend when I've uh, been a bachelor while Mackenzie and Eleanor are in Texas with family. I, I've been singing everything because I know I ain't going to get smacked for it. But I think of that song. If it wasn't for that, now I know that song's talking about Jesus, but the church has a responsibility. To establish that lighthouse and to facilitate that lighthouse and to care for that, not that we care for Jesus, but we got to let the light shine. And we let it shine so that this crooked and twisted generation that is, notice how it uses crooked and twisted. in comparison to a holy generation. When the generation's twisted and crooked, it twists and makes everything else crooked. But God wants us to straighten up and to walk with fear and trembling. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about got to wear the long skirts and the the hair down. I know that was how some people grew up and but that's not the holiness we're talking about we're talking about God having your whole heart and when we walk before God and we walk with God we walk in humility understanding that he is holy and we are not and that we need him So how do we accomplish this? The answer is in verse chapter 16. Paul tells them, holding fast to the word of life. What is the word of life? It is the word of God, the word of truth. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We hang on to the Word. The Word is God. The Word is Christ. We hang on to Him and everything that He declares. We hold fast to it. Some translations say we hold firm to it. But what has happened is we have loosened our grip on it. And we don't hold fast to it. We hold loose to it. And we don't view it through the eyes of fear and trembling and, okay, what thus saith the Lord? We say, what saith my feelings about this? 
God says this is wrong, but you know, does he, did he really mean that? Was he really talking to all believers? Was he just talking to that church there and that segment there? Uh, was he just, what was the context of this? And we pick it apart too much. Now, context is important when you study the Word of God because there are occasions, without me getting too deep into it, where that is the case, that the, that was for a very specific group of people for that period of time. Example, the ceremonial laws that I mentioned earlier. I'm not going to get into all of it too much, but but I want you to understand today that we spend so much time trying to pick apart everything, and we, what we're really doing is we're trying to make the Word fit us rather than us submitting and fitting the Word. The Bible calls the Word of God a mirror that we look into it and it reveals to us our true nature. Listen, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look in the mirror and say, man, I really need to hit the gym a little bit more. I'm starting to lose some hair. I don't know if you noticed, but I've been doing more of a buzz cut kind of thing here lately to accept the fact that I'm not going to do the comb over Donald Trump haircut. And I, and I just, like there are times you look in that mirror, you don't like what you see. There are many, many times I have looked into the Word of God and I didn't like what was looking back at me because it hurt a little bit to accept the reality that I need to hit the spiritual gym, that I need to take care of some things better than I have been. The Bible says, though, there's a problem, is that not everybody's a doer of the Word. Some people are just hearers of it, and it actually in that is in that same section where it says those who only hear the word, it's like looking in the mirror. They walk away and they forget what kind of person they are, but those who do the word, I'm giving you the Brandon Scott version, receive blessings and life-changing things. We have to hold fast to his word. It's the only book that you can read and it will read you. And we should let it read us and transform us. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning?